So I was testing on Instagram, and this is when Instagram was really starting to get really hot because uh, this is like 2015, 2016. So I built a little following there, and I just launched this ebook, right? And I remember like within an hour, I made $9.95. And I'm like, oh my God, someone from the internet paid me money. You're listening to That Worked, a show that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Callan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. Welcome back to another episode of That Worked. We have a really exciting show this week. I'm joined by Marcus Cham. Marcus is the founder of Venley Consulting, where he helps account executives sell and earn over $100,000 each year through his coaching and training programs. Marcus is an official member of the Forbes Business Council and has been featured in Forbes, Yahoo Finance, MarketWatch, and many others. He is a three-time Salesforce top sales influencer and the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of Six Figure Sales Secrets. This was a high-energy episode. Marcus has had an incredibly successful career, and what I love about Marcus is that he's not afraid to talk about his mistakes. We dive into the power of asking ourselves better questions in order to get to better answers. We talk about the mistakes he made when he moved from an individual contributor to a manager. And one of the most exciting areas was talking about his founder story. Marcus was way ahead of the social selling game and started his business from an ebook. Now, my favorite part of the interview was diving into what Marcus calls the four F's. Optimizing for fortune, family, freedom, and fulfillment. And if nothing else, it really makes you think about what's important in your life. So with that, let's jump into the show. Today's guest, we are joined by Marcus Chan. Marcus is the founder of Venley Consulting. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm pumped to be here. We had a fun jam out last week. I'm, I'm excited to be back. Thank you for welcoming me back. It was the fastest turnaround ever. I was super excited, man. Um, we could have kept that one. When we first spoke, I was like, man, I wish we just had this recorded. <laughs> I wish we had this one recorded. <laughs> totally. So we're going to recreate the magic. So tell us a little bit about Venley uh, Consulting. Cool. Super simple. So I work directly with B2B sales professionals or account executives who sell full cycle sales or in the closing part. I help them earn an additional $100,000 or more each year in commissions alone by absolutely dominating in their industry. All right. So I know you have about 50 million different situations you can talk about, but there's one I want to hear about. Tell us about the most interesting thing that happened to you when going outbound. So I grew up in a world where I didn't know what inbound marketing was, didn't know what inbound lead was. I've done all types of cold prospecting. That's everything from cold calls, cold emails, knocking on doors, sending emails, doing all those things. And you can imagine when you do so much, when you have zero inbound, when you do so much outbound, you always run into really interesting things that are surprising and weird and funny or potentially scary at the time. And I remember one of the most memorable times was actually early on when I was trying to figure out how to effectively go door to door to businesses, like literally walking into businesses and knocking on doors. And this is back in 2007. This is in the last recession. So businesses were shutting down. 
People were pissed. People were angry. Things were going starting to get a little crazy. Unemployment was going to 11% plus. And I remember there was this prospect that I had targeted that I knew would be a great prospect. I'm like, this guy spends a lot of money. He has a huge opportunity. And But every time I would cold call on the phones, I would email or do any type of like outbound that way, I could never break through. And what's interesting about the building was it was in this old part of Portland in Portland, Oregon, where the main office, for some reason, the way it was set up, it was behind these closed garage doors. So it was always rolled down. It's very industrial part of Portland. And that was the only way in. And one day I was in the field and I saw the, the doors actually rolled open and they had regular glass doors right behind. I'm like, oh, perfect. This is awesome. Here's my opportunity. And I see some guys moving around through this through glass door. I can see them in there. So I go and, and I walk in and I walk in this like this huge warehouse and there's a bunch of people moving around. There's just dozens of employees and they're kind of gruff and rough around the edges. And they're like, hey, what can I do for you? I'm like, oh, um, I'm here to see Peter. And they're like, okay. And <laughs> Peter is the owner. I probably should have done this. They're like, is he expecting you? I'm like, sure. <laughs> right? Oh, you have to say it. I'm like, sure. I must sound at least confident enough at the time. So I'm like, all right. So, okay. So it's like in this really old building in Portland. So they take me down this hallway and they point me to this room and I walk into the room and the room is almost pitch black. There's like no lights on. It was almost like a movie and probably like 10, 20 feet in is a desk. I can see there's a desk lamp and like a computer and a guy on the computer. And he's like facing, but everything around like complete pitch black. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. That's fine, whatever. And I can see on his face, he has a big scowl on his face. He just like he just looks pissed, right? I'm like, okay, well, here it goes. And I walk up, I try to be your typical salesy person back for kind of figure out how to sell. And I'm like, hey Peter, how's it going? You know, my name is Marquez, blah, blah. You know, you probably got my phone calls and emails. Ha ha ha. I try to make some stupid joke. And he starts like in the middle of my pitch, he starts shaking his head side to side. And it says, you fucking salespeople. <laughs> you see his face? It's almost like a kettle or a pot of water on a boil. I can see him get redder and redder. I hear him like, oh, like, oh you know, hey, you know, hey, you know, I'm not trying to like sell you something right here. You know, I just want to set some time aside to have a conversation with you. And he was shaking. He's like, he's like, you guys never fucking learn. Oh, okay. You know, I'm like, ha You know, like, I'm like, I'm not really <laughs> sure how to, I have no idea how to handle the situation. He reaches into like his desk. He grabs something. I don't know what he grabs. He pulls it out. He puts it on the table. It's a gun. And immediately I stopped talking. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. You know what? Obviously, I caught you at a terrible time. I will be on my way. And I started backing away. And he picks the gun, starts walking toward me. You guys never learn. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I just race out. I just take off. Now, fortunately, he doesn't come after me, right? And uh, I'm freaked out, completely freaked out. This has never happened before. Because, you know, number one, no one's ever pulled a gun on me before. Number two, they expect it to happen. Number three, I'm walking like businesses. So this is like not someone's residential home. This is like an actual business. So I'm like, I'm freaking out. So I don't know what to do. So I sit in my car, you know, uh, at first I drove off. I'm like, <laughs> Casey like comes out, I draw somewhere. I'm like, I just need like, kind of like, I'm frazzled. I don't know how to deal this. So I call my boss and my boss is like, kind of old school, but you know, been around, like seen some, he served like in one of the wars and he was just kind of rough around the edges. And I call him and I'm like, hey, Paul, uh, like something just happened. I, I don't know if we need to report this. I don't know if we should do something. But this guy that I've been like trying to like cold call and knock on the door and trying to like, you know, meet with, I just saw him. Oh, great. How'd it go? I'm like, terrible. He pulled a gun on me. <laughs> He's like, oh, pull a gun on you. I'm like, did you find any shots? I'm like, no, no, you're not. Are you okay? I'm like, 
I'm kind of freaked out, but like, did I get shot? Yeah, did you get hurt? Hey, I'm like, no, no, I'm totally fine. He's like, oh, so wait, hold on. You didn't get shot. You're not hurt. And he didn't fire any shots at you. He just pulled the gun out. That's it. Yeah. He's like, but you're okay. I'm like, I guess it. Okay. Get back to work. And that was my conversation. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, uh, I wish I could say that I was so tenacious and I worked so hard. And then a year later, I went and closed him. I never called my guy ever again. <laughs> never again. Oh, man. Here's what's probably the worst part. For me, what's stuck in my head is 100% your manager. It's like, all right, well, finish your rounds. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, okay, okay, okay. You know, he was like every door, every floor, right? The more hands you shake, the more money you make. I'm like, all right, okay, well, got it, got it. <laughs> Noted that is now sticking in. Oh, that's such a good story. I love that you shared that. So to segue into that, where were you at this point in your career? Yeah. So at that point, I was like, it's still, I was in about six months of my career. I had never wanted to be in sales. I didn't really see it as a career. I saw it more of like a stepping stone at the time. It was more so because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So when this opportunity came up when I graduated, right before the recession, started, things started getting kind of crazy. This is opportunity for B2B sales for a startup division for a major Fortune 500 company. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's go do it. It was an opportunity to kind of build something from scratch. But I didn't realize, and you kind of learned a lot at that time. Like, I didn't realize we didn't really have product market fit. And this is the interesting thing I learned later on. I didn't know what it was called at the time. There was no inbound leads. So I didn't know about you know, lead flow. I didn't know about marketing. So we had to become our own marketing and sales machine. So that was like a lot to learn because even on day one, and I'm excited because, you know, I'm fresh college grad, fresh haircut. I wear a full suit at the time or I wear a shirt and tie at the time. And I go to my boss's office and day one, he gives me a manual. It's like, you know, two inches thick, read my people who never done the job before. He's like, here you go. Good luck. Right. So that was my first taste into B2B sales. And then I didn't know what to do. So what should I do first? He's like, oh, cool. I want you to go knock on some doors first. Because remember, we did have a CRM, but we didn't have any leads inside. Right. <laughs> right? So great place to be. Yeah. Great. Exactly. Like, you know, they didn't buy it. They didn't do any of those things. It was, we had to go get the data and put it inside. So we're like, okay. So I'm like, what do I do? He's like, go outside and go right and don't come back till you get 30 business cards. I'm like, <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds good. Right. So that was like my first dive into B2B sales was like learning right in the field, in the recession, when businesses were shutting down, <laughs> how to knock on doors, cold call, and actually sell people within four zip codes of something without that did not product market fit. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. It's funny. I started out as an insurance agent and financial advisor at the exact same time. And I'm from Toledo, Ohio, which is directly tied to Detroit. Well, if you weren't following along, Detroit didn't do so hot during that recession. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can empathize with that. So when did you start to have that turning point in sales just in general, where you started to click? You clearly wanted to do it because you kept doing it, as you've mentioned, when you didn't really know what you're doing. doesn't sound like as, and I've read in some of your posts, where like, I wasn't that great at it when I started. What were those turning points that it's like, okay, I started to figure this out and I started to see a lot of success after that? Well, I think the first point of self-actualization is realizing you suck. And that's like first point, right? And I think a lot of times people aren't willing to admit that and own that, and thus they can't fix it. So I went to the library. I went and got books. One of the things that I ran into was Tony Robbins' book, Awaken the Giant Within. And this is kind of my first step into like the personal growth space. And then inside that book, one of the things he said that really stuck with me ever since was, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. 
And that was really interesting to me because I realized at that point, every time something bad happened to me, I walk into a business, someone pulls a gun on me. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with them? They're crazy, et cetera. I've walked into the business and dogs have bitten me. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with them? Why they let little dog loose? I'd have you know, people yell at me, curse at me, et cetera. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with them? Why is the economy? Why is there a recession? Why don't I get any training? Why don't I have a tech stack? Why is my boss terrible? Why is everyone doing better than me? Why have a bad terror? And all these excuses. And because of that, I was asking myself these bad questions. I got bad answers. So the first turning point was realizing I should ask better questions. And it sounds so simple, but that was the first stage, which was being able to learn from a mistake, but learn the right lesson from the mistake. Because most people learn the wrong lessons. Can you learn the right lesson when you make a mistake so you can actually get better from there? So for example, let's just say I had a, a cold call. Let's say I got absolutely destroyed, which happened a lot. And instead of saying, what's wrong with me? I could shift the question. Where did I learn from this? Hmm. You know, I learned I need to do better research beforehand because when I called, I asked for someone who wasn't even there and never been there before. Hmm, interesting. So lesson from that, do research in advance so I have the right people in advance. Interesting. Small detail, big difference. The second transitional point was about seven weeks in because I was still not performing at the point. I was still the worst rep possible. That's when I got threatened with a pit. Sometimes we don't realize how one dot connects to the other dot till a little bit later on. So one of the dots that happened up front first was at this point, I was pretty stressed. I'll get an annual checkup of my doctor, you know, blood tests, et cetera, do all the normal things. And my blood pressure had really skyrocketed since the last time I'd been there, like a year prior, you know, and I gained a little bit of weight as well and uh, probably wasn't as healthy as it could have been. And, you know, the doctor kind of started diving into my situation. And by the end of the conversation, I basically had committed to eating healthy, right? Working out more, being healthier and making some changes in my life. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, how did my doctor convince me to do that? And I realized there was no convincing. They influenced me, but I'm like, how do they influence me? All they really did was just ask me questions, really good questions that made me become insightful to my own situation, that made me realize I've been making all these mistakes. And because now I knew there was a problem, they just showed me a very simple solution. So there's no selling. They simply influenced me to that point. And I realized this whole time, in my sales process, I had been doing the opposite. I walk in, ask a couple of questions, and be so focused on the pitch. You know, the features, maybe some of the benefits, trying to pitch, trying to convince them to buy from me. And I realized that was actually holding me back from selling. So from there, I started to kind of realize, I'm like, man, I could really improve my process. I mean, I kept refining, refining, refining it. And uh, that third month, I went from like bottom to number one in month three. And then what was really interesting was, so I stayed number one for the next four months in a row. And then my boss's boss said, okay, Marcus, you're doing pretty good. We have opportunity for you. I'm like, great. What's up? He's like, we're going to um, move you to a different operation. And what we want you to do is we want you to go over there. We're not going to pay you more. We're not going to give you a title bump. But we want you to lead the small team there, three people sold, like two actual reps there. And we want you to turn the place around. Did you want to be in sales leadership? Uh, I didn't really know. I thought I did. Right, I wasn't really sure, but I was like, okay, this makes sense because there's kind of a linear path in that company on the BDC business side. They kind of had a, li a linear path, right? At the time, it was like an $18 billion year company. So it was a very linear path. I'm like, cool. So it's kind of made sense that they're trying to meet on the B2B side. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I'd be cool with that, I guess. Yeah, for sure. That sounds exciting. That's a good opportunity for me. So I took it. And this is another turning point because that first step into leadership, I realized how hard leadership is. Anyone who's gone from that individual contributor to leadership, you realize pretty quickly no one's you. And, you know, from a value systems, beliefs, execution, habits, routine, how it work ethic, you realize very quickly they're not you. So I botched that pretty badly at first. How so? So I'm a planner by nature. Most people close maybe two accounts a month. I was closing eight to 10 accounts every single month, new fresh blood. 
right? Completely cold. Okay. So I'm like, I'm doing something right, obviously. So how can I re replicate success? So I went and I mapped out a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And I'm like, this is what we're, we're going to do. So I had it all together. And then day one, I'm with the small crew and I'm excited, right? Now, I'm also not really reading the room because their manager just quit and they actually were like the manager, but they're doing terrible. So I came in, new guy who actually was younger than all of them, been in the company for less time, running circles around them, did not realize that they had painted me as the golden boy. I was like the guy who like hot shot intern who crushed it as an intern. Yeah, he struggled at first, but now he's crushing here. He's like the uh, the teacher's pet, basically. I didn't realize that at the time. So day one, I'm huddled. I'm like, hey, everyone, like, listen, like, I know, like, you know, yes, I'm performed here, but I got a plan. First 36 days, we're going to do A, B, C, we're going to change all these things. Blah, 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 and go through my whole plan. I look at their faces after like 15 minutes, and they're just, they're just not having it. I don't know how to handle that. All right, cool. Like, let's just do our thing today. You know, ha, ha, all right. Like, you know, try to roll it off. And I remember going to my girlfriend, now wife, girlfriend at the time. And she's like, how was your first day? You know, as you're like pseudo manager, you know, I'm like, I think I should just stay like just in the sales role, right? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, wow, they just don't get it. I was so naive and so egotistical about myself, right? I'm like, I've been number one for the last four months, <laughs> you know, which is a pretty short time when you think about it and all things considered. I'm like, I've been over four months, right? <laughs> and I have this master plan. They wouldn't even listen to me, right? And she's like, well, how do they feel? I'm like, I don't know. They should just do what I say. She's like, do you really think so? I'm like, yeah. She's like, in a nice word, she's like, no, dummy. They don't think you have their back. They think you already have this reputation. Not even back. You're already put on a pedestal already in a different way. They're going to have some envy and like jealousy towards you. So you coming in, trying to like, you know, bring the hammer down on them, it won't influence change. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Because she usually is. So the next day, and this is a good lesson I learned at the time, I sat them all down. And I just apologized. I was like, listen, like, I think I just came off totally wrong. <sighs> I had this plan. But here's reality. I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is, is I want us to win. I want to help you win. And I'll do whatever we can, we can together. So what do you guys think? What are you guys' ideas? You know, what are you guys' thoughts? And they had all these ideas. And we worked together. And we partner up. You know, and I really learned about how to like actually like lead without a title and how to actually influence. And on top of that, when I was able to learn how to do these things, it also taught me how do I take the process that I kind of developed in my head and be able to systemize and teach other people. That's what I had to do because of the nature we were in. Because also like, I mean, if we fail, this branch will close down and we'll get fired. I'm like, that wasn't an option. So that was another interesting learning point as well, where I learned about how to build a sales playbook, how to actually scale it because that we're able to replicate success. So that was interesting to learn as well because I'm like, okay, interesting. Like, I'm not a wet head wonder. I didn't get lucky, right? You had a ton of success here. And you rose up the ranks. You cracked the code on sales leadership as well. Why start your own company? That's a really good question. Um, so I ended up working for that company for several more years. And then I went to a whole different company because I actually was, I wanted to see if I could do it again. I wasn't sure if I got lucky, right? Like, maybe I got lucky. Maybe it was the industry, maybe whatever. I got promoted several times there. And then I went to a whole new industry, a whole new company. Fortunately, I had a lot of success there too, right? And fortunately, made a lot of the same mistakes early on. So I was able to kind of learn from those, which is kind of cool, which is awesome. And that was really cool. It got to the point where we run a really big org. And what's interesting is I never want to start my own business. Really? Like never growing up or anything, never wanted to be an entrepreneur? No, never. Interesting. And it's because my parents were entrepreneurs. So they, were, they had a restaurant, they did like festivals as well. They had a bunch of real estate as well. But growing up, we grew up really poor. And I grew up working in a restaurant. 
I remember like literally like sleeping at the restaurant, waking up, working there. I remember helping my parents out. I remember like as a kid, I was working like 20, 30 hours a week, like as a seven-year-old. So I'm like, oh my God, this is entrepreneurial life. Your parents work 80 hours a week. They don't come to any of your school events or activities. That sounds terrible to me, right? And it seemed like it was a very unstable thing. Now, I just didn't realize the opportunity, there's different types of entrepreneurs, right? And opportunity vehicles to be in. So my whole life, I was almost essentially, I don't say brainwashed, but I was led to believe the best path is working somewhere safe. Now, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, and something more prestigious which is very normal for Asian parents. But I didn't do any of those things, right? But at least I got a corporate job. So it's like there's some stability there. So what's really interesting was, so I went 2007 is when I graduated. I went to start working, worked for several years. So by 2015, I was in my second company already. And I've been out in the corporate world for what? Like, you know, eight years at that point. And I've been promoted 10 times at that point in eight years. And I was leading out at this point. Uh, I was one of the youngest directors in the company, leading the sales force, about 85 total employees working for a Fortune 500 company. So, and people are like, wow, this is crazy, dude. Like, how did you do this? And even at my second company, most people were at that, took them like 10 years to get to that level. I did in four and a half years. People were like, how did you do these things? I'm like, do what things? I'm just showing up. I'm giving 100% everything I do. I truly care. I'm passionate. This is what I do. And at that time, people are like, dude, you should write a book. Write a book? That sounds crazy. I would never write a book, right? I'm like, whatever. But maybe I'll write an ebook. So at this time, I started to like learn about, you know, online marketing and like ebooks, et cetera. Now everyone, the mother has an ebook and course, et cetera. But at the time it was really only like certain, only like the internet crowd knew that. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So I bought a program. I learned how to write an ebook, how to turn it into an ebook. I learned how to automate it so someone could pay online and it get distributed automatically. At the time, there was way more complex. So now it's, it's super easy, but at the time it, wasn't, it was way more complex. And I remember like writing this first book, it was called The Corporate Climb. I call it how to promote 10 times in 10 years, right? Which sounds, sounds better than 10 times in eight years, <laughs> right? I love that. That's a really good title and headline there. And I remember like, I was learning my internet marketing on social selling. I was using Instagram as my test place. So I was testing on Instagram. And this was Instagram was really starting to get really hot because uh, this is like 2015, 2016. So I built a little following there and I just launched this ebook, right? And I remember like within an hour, I made $9.95. And I'm like, oh my God. Someone from the internet paid me money <laughs> for a B2B guy, right? For someone in B2B sales who's used to either I'm sitting in front of someone having a conversation, right? To extract money and value from them, provide them value. Now I'm doing it online. That's weird. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And that, that like blew my mind. So I'm like, okay, you know what I should do is like, I need to build something bigger. And I'm like, the next step is an online course, the national transgression. And I'm getting asked the most basic questions that literally... I thought everyone should know. Things that I just thought was like normal at, at this point because I just didn't know, people didn't know. So then I'm like, okay, I should build an online course. Now, this took me a long time to build out because again, the technology is different back then. So I'm like, okay, I should build this out. You know, So I bought another program, learned how to do it, started to do it, to do it um, and started building my free time. Now, this is kind of a crazy time for me because you know I was traveling about 100 nights a year in a hotel. We had a baby during this time, and uh, the company I was with also took like a major acquisition. So it took me two years. January 2019, I'm finally done. I'm like, oh, man, awesome. But then I'm like, what if nobody buys it? What if this is a bad product, right? Because, again, when you create something of your own versus selling for someone else, you don't realize how much work it takes to build your own offer and your product and your solution. I didn't have PMF. I didn't test anything out. I'm just like, let me just see what happens. So I'm like, fuck it. I just launched it, right? Woke up, 
made $2,000 overnight. And I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. At that point, it was like, wow, this is an opportunity. Like this is scalable. Now, one of the things where you also get to a point in your career where you start realizing what's really important. And it's not to say money's not important, but when you made a pretty good amount of money and you're pretty good with managing your money, investing and multiplying, doing all this stuff, like you start realizing like money's totally cool, but like if you're pretty simple, you don't spend really that much and you put yourself in a spot where you can do whatever you want. And that's why I did. I'm like, what I really want is more time. I want time freedom. I want to be able to do what I want with who I want whenever I want. It's really important to me, right? I just want more time back. Time with family, friends, relationships, do what I want and just have fun, do stuff. I didn't just like quit my job on spot. I'm like, I'm out, see you later, right? I want to be strategic about this. And at a presence club trip coming up in August, I won that. I'm just going to go to that. Okay, I want that. My year-end bonus in stock, I want all that for sure. That happened in June. We had an earnings call that would happen in September that would skyrocket everything. So then I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to time this all out because we had an earnings call in September. I'm like, if I can't time it all out, I'll get everything I need. And then I can wait for my vesting period to also hit as well. And I can just exit out right after that. So that's exactly what I did. Timed everything out and then exit out and left September 19, 2019 and went all in on the business. Because at that point, it was about time freedom. The second piece was important to you. And one of the other things really important to me is impact. And the thing was, even though I had built, like even at the company I was at, I had built a pretty good reputation. Like everyone knew me, all the execs knew me. I was riding on corporate jets periodically and stuff, but that was cool. I'm still in the corporate training videos. People still like talk about me still, which is kind of weird. Some probably hate on me now, which is, it is what it is. It doesn't really matter. But anyways, <laughs> it was cool. But um, what I realized was like, I'm like, I want to have more impact. I had like my team, et cetera. And also like mentor 10 other people out within the organization as well to help them like can rise up. From I wanted to make more of an impact. And what was really interesting was even with the course, when I first launched it and people started buying it even after the launch, I would get emails from people that be like, wow, this really helped me. This really works. It was like, wow, this proves to me that this works outside of my industry. This proves to me I could scale this. That also made me realize I'm like, if I stay at this company, I can impact people within the company or I can untether myself and better myself and be able to create a business where I can impact way more people. That's why that was a big part of the business was being able to put it in a spot where I can do whatever I want, who I want, but also help the people I want to help. That's why I made the leap. That freedom of money, freedom of time, freedom of relationship, or do you do strategic coach? Uh, what do you mean? So there's an organization called Strategic Coach, and what you just described is their whole thing. First, you get freedom of time, then you get freedom of money, then you get freedom of relationship. So it's essentially, I can work when I want, with who I want, whenever I want. I didn't know that was a thing. Basically, yeah, it's, I guess the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. And that's something that with me personally, that's 100%. It's something that's been on my mind a lot more, right? You know, you can do it two ways. You can just grind it out and you'll make an absolute ton of money. But I think it gets to a certain point where it's, I really want more freedom of time than I care as much about the next thing. Because you can only buy so many cool things. That's just kind of the reality. Oh, yeah. I remember when I made the right decision, when it hit. Because when you go and start your own business, there's always a fear, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. Like I think a lot of people think, oh, founders, they don't have fear. Actually, hell yeah, I got tons of fear and anxiety, right? But it's acting in spite of the fear and anxiety. And, you know, I remember, you know, one month after, I was second guessing myself. I was like, oh, man, like, was that a right decision? I left behind like seven figures in equity. Is that really the right move? Like, oh, you know, you start going going back and forth and you just kind of question, like, oh, maybe it's easy to go back to work for somebody else. I don't know. You just have all these doubts. And about one month in, and my kid was pretty young. He's about 
two and a half at the time. And before this happened, because I traveled so much, anytime, you know, get upset, cry, hurt, he would naturally go to mom, right? That was like, go to mommy, race to mommy, right? Yeah, you know, I didn't really think much about it. Even when I was there, it just happened because she was around more. But a month after, and I remember right after it happened, like after I made the move, he's like, oh, dad, you're here. I'm like, yeah, I'm here, you know, whatever. You, know, you got to see me every day, which is interesting. I got to take him to school, drop him. I could do all these I couldn't do before. A month after, I remember like he hurt himself, got upset, and he ran to me. And that's when I realized, I'm like, this is why. That's pure freedom. You don't get the time back. Your kid, they're probably going to love hanging out with you for the first 10 years of their life. And after that, who knows what's going to happen? So I'm like, I better capitalize it now because now he's six. So I'm still thinking that same way. That's so cool. I love that. As you're growing this business, what's your goal? You've already been incredibly successful in the business that that you've grown. You've got a gigantic presence across multiple social channels, LinkedIn, newsletter, all sorts of different outlets. What is the goal for you? What do you want out of this? Yeah. So I think it's, I'm going to continue to optimize for the four Fs that I talk about, right? The four Fs. So uh, fortune, right? That's building wealth, stacking cash, family, freedom, and fulfillment, right? This is why I optimize for every single day. So if I'm always doing things to optimize for that, that's really, really important. But also when you have that understanding, you start realizing I can't just create whatever solution and offer because that may require me sacrificing time for my family, which I'm not willing to do. So it's find that really good balance. So that's the key. So as part of that business. So when I think about that, it's, it's like, okay, if I build a new offer, what's going to have more impact? And do I enjoy doing that? That's what I always think about. At the end of the day, it's like, I goals in mind, but not really. Right, if that makes sense. Because there's, there's certain things I also want more about. I don't really want those. It's more so like, how can I create the life I actually want? Like to wake up when I want, do what I want, et cetera. How do I design it to be fully optimized to meet only doing things I like to do? That's what the top people do. When you look at someone like Oprah Winfrey, she probably works like one or two hours a day. Why? She freaking loves that part of it. And the rest of it, she does whatever she wants. And I think about how can I create my life to be the same way? You know? And it's also... When you add to this as well, you get addicted to the process, if you will, as Scott Lee says, like you get addicted to the process. Over time, in everything I've done, I've learned to, enjoy, I hate to say, I don't want to say enjoy the grind, because I think people read that the wrong way, but I enjoy the process. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the building. I enjoy this. There's something about when you're able to take something in your mind's eye and you're able to turn it to reality. It's very hard to put into words what that really means. So for me, yeah, maybe there's some end goals, kind of, but not really, because I see it as more seasons, right? Like even like this current program that I'm running right now for BB salespeople, like we're doing really well, we're helping a lot of people, it's really, really awesome, it's great. This is my current season. I'll do this for a while, I'm still good with it, right? But over time, I'm sure like, okay, what's my next season gonna be? You know, what do I wanna do next? Who do I wanna help next? Or I keep building upon that, I don't know, right? I think it's good to think in like long time horizons, like 10, 20, 30, 50 years out. But also in the season, the seasons may shift a little bit. It's kind of like when you're driving on a freeway, you know where you can go to the end destination, but you're enjoying the drive. And sometimes you can go off the freeway. You can speed up. You can change the lanes depending on what's in the road. You may detour off a little bit to go a different path, then get back on. It's just all part of life. A hundred percent. And I think you hit on something that's always been important to me and just 
love to practice, right? Like love to practice as much as you like playing the game. And if you can find something where you love to practice as much as you love playing in the game, like run with it. You're probably going to be really successful at it. So the last question I have for you is if you could have a conversation with your younger self, age totally up to you, what would that conversation be? What advice would you give them? Think in longer time horizons and make decisions based off that. You know, I think when you're young, you always think in very short term. Like you always think you have the rest of your life. You always think you have all this time. You're always like, oh, I'm young. It's fine. But you end up just making dumb decisions, frankly, right? And when you think on a longer time horizon, you end up becoming much more well-rounded. You make more strategic decisions. So for example, there's always pros and cons because some people might say, hey, Marcus, that's really cool. Like, Two companies in like 14 plus years. That's really cool. You had a lot of success. That's really awesome. You know? And then there's some people that look at me and say, Marcus, man, you're doing pretty well as an entrepreneur. Maybe you should start that sooner. And I think one of the things that early on, I was very risk adverse, very risk adverse. And I think, you know, there's always going to be pros and cons to everything. But because of that, I was probably more gun shy making some bigger changes and decisions. I'll give a really simple example. I remember even when the market tanked in 2007, 2008, I'm like, now probably a good time to buy some stock right? Like, you know, but I'm like, I'm too scared. I'm too scared. Right. And that was like, you know, in hindsight, obviously you probably could like, you know, make even more money because of that. Right. You know, who would have known? Right. But it's one of those things where the principle is still the same. It's more so of, if you think on a longer time horizon, you start realizing there's always patterns, everything, and you can hopefully make better decisions now, you know, that'll pay you long-term dividends. And if you start thinking of it this way, it helps you in every part of your life, whether it's relationships or anything else, you know, for instance, and I think in some parts of my life, I did a good job with that. And the parts that did do a good job. For example, like I think back to one good decision I made was early on, especially in college. You know, I went through the, the run of dating whomever. That was cool, right? Meeting people, it's really fun or whatever. And then I got sick of the game. And I'm like, this isn't what I want. And a very set criteria. I was like that psycho who had an idea, like who, who he wants to like, be with, right? In my head, at least, right? And I found her. I found her. It was my senior year, right? Well, I've known her. And then I realized it was her my senior year. And that was a good long-term decision, right? That was a good long-term decision. She was resistant to it, but we started dating eventually and now I married her and we have a great life. We have a kid now, right? So that's a good example of long-term thinking that I think most people would have given up when at the first rejection. She rejected me for really five years until we started dating, four years until we started dating, but it was a long-term move is what my point. So if you think long-term, you'll make better decisions, hopefully in the short term, they'll pay you long-term dividends. The beauty about long-term thinking is it makes the short-term setbacks don't sting as bad because you understand it's just a bump on the long road. So I think that's excellent. Marcus, this has been a, a blast. Thanks for coming on today, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been an absolute blast. I love it. I hope you enjoyed Marcus and I's conversation. Asking yourself better questions is something that I'm really trying to work on. It's a great way to challenge and expand your way of thinking and viewpoint. And if you're not following Marcus on LinkedIn, I highly recommend going on there and giving him a follow. He posts a ton of great content every day. Also, if you like this episode, you could find me on LinkedIn to let me know. And if you really want to support the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is very much appreciated. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll see you next week. Oh,